Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Bailed Critics. I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined by three of the most wonderful film reviewers in amateur podcasting. <laughs> Where are these uh, compliments coming from, Steve? <laughs> oh, I don't know why I'm in a good mood. They slightly downgrade it each week, though. If you notice, last week we were all wonderful yeah. stuff, now we're just with, we're good within a certain category. <laughs> <laughs> just, just learn to take a compliment, Jerry. Stop being such a too, Steve. Stop being such a bloody woman. It's only because I love you. James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, this week, plenty to talk about. Uh, James went to Bowie Fest, which is a film festival all about the films of David Bowie. So. It- Brilliant, brilliant. Like tell you all about <laughs> yeah. that. Yes, he's very excited. Our first actual press access to anything. So, yeah, brilliant. I know we're getting there. We're making it, people. <laughs> uh, what films we've all watched this week, and our uh, finally our review of Total Recall, the new one, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. Sadly, or I'm sure I'm sure that will come into it. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, best start off by um, sending our condolences to the family of Michael Clark Duncan, who just we found out literally minutes before starting to record has passed away at the age of fifty-four. Um, star of um, many films, Oscar nominated for The Green Mile, also in films like Armageddon, The Whole Nine Yards, Planet of the Apes, the one with. Um, Tim Burton's one. The, the, one, one, the, Tim, the, Tim, the yeah. Tim Burton one, the one that we uh, forget ever happened, but he was in that yeah, as well. I, I don't know what film you're talking about, Steve. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just, you know. Yeah, quite. Only 54, really sad. Mm. Um, so yeah, thoughts with everyone involved. And now on... I was going to say he's brilliant in... Green Mile. I know we very quickly talked about it before we started recording, but he is really, I mean, he's definitely deserving of his, uh, his Oscar. Did he win the Oscar for Green Mile? Just, just, nominated. Sure. just nominated. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely worth a nomination at least. If, if yeah. you haven't seen it, I'd say now is definitely the time to check it out and be all sad that he's no longer with us because uh, it's a great performance. Like I need any more reason to cry at a film. You know? <laughs> uh, and that's, probably why I've avoided it up until now. I've been very I've been scared that I'll cry all the water out of my body like um like a Chris Morris sketch. 
So, uh, yeah, no, but I will watch it um, because you've just told me how excellent it is. <laughs> and, and I yeah. trust your opinion. No, uh, will... And I feel it's the least I can do. Uh, I, I will undoubtedly watch Armageddon for about the five millionth time in, in tribute. Yes, uh, and, and I can't think of a better tribute. Great film. I love Armageddon. I hate Michael Bay, but I love Armageddon. <laughs> One good thing he's done is definitely Armageddon. Yeah, and Bad Boys. And I, bad I like boys. Bad Boys as yeah. well. Uh, on, anyway, we've got off the track. Yes. On <laughs> to the quote quiz. Oh. The scores I make it are um, Jerry 4, James 1, Owen 0, me 0. I'll get a point if none of you can get it, if you were wondering how I score points in this. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gone for this week. You're the one that's gone from being a chartered accountant to Charlton Heston. I'm not a chartered accountant. Well, you look like one. I'm a lecturer. You're a twat. Oh, God. Um. No. Bugger. You might be point this week, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna... dropping to the bottom of the table this week. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I Not... think we're conceding. <laughs> it is from Shaun of the Dead. Do you know what? I really oh. thought it was a. Ble- I thought I... it was a Simon Pegg Edgar Wright thing, but I was thinking, no, who's a lecturer in that? That's what, and it's Dylan Moran, isn't it? Yeah, I, oh, easy, yeah. I even went for. I even <laughs> went for a film with zombies in it to try and give Owen a chance. <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment, Steve. I'm just. It's too late. I've had yeah. a whiskey. It's... What, go on the 11 o'clock. It's bedtime for me. <laughs> Quality reviewing coming tonight. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Top yeah. reviewing. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, James, Bowie Fest. Yes. Or Bowie uh, Fest. And, and I will, uh, yeah, I'm going to start off as Bowie Fest. Um, uh, as, as us true Bowie fans. No, uh, I just want to say firstly thank you to um, Ollie and Natasha, the co-curators of Bowie Fest, who very, very kindly allowed me to attend the whole thing. Did that? Um, did they? Did they approach you, or did you approach them? No, I don't think we're at that kind of level. <laughs> Basically, I approached them and said, "What? There's a film festival, just all about David Bowie. Um, can I come for free, please? I've got this blog and this podcast." And they, they were like, "Yeah." So they were very welcoming and friendly. Uh, the ICA London, the Institute of Contemporary Arts. Um, lovely staff, really well-run event. Uh, if anyone's ever in London, just pop into the ICA. You can pop in for free and have a look at the exhibitions, but it's a lovely little um, cinema. Uh, kind of, I think it must be about 150-seat little screening room cinema. Really, really nice. Lovely venue. Um, perfect place, really, for Bowie Fest to take place. Obviously, contemporary art. The man was mo- always more than just a musician. He, he was an artist. Uh, over the weekend, I saw... I think nine films. Um, it was a very, very intense weekend, actually. First day was very nice. Just the opening night, got to see Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders for Miles in Motion Picture, which our keen-eared listeners will know I chose as one of my favourite ever documentaries for Triple Bill a couple of months back. Uh, and seeing it on the big screen is now as close as I've got to being there at that gig. I still need to invent my time machine purely to go back in time to that. But um, it was great to see David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars, who as a band were at the peak of their powers at the time. Um, uh, Mick Ronson, who was uh, just such a genius on guitar and a real part of that sound. His kind of part in 
pushing glam rock has been underplayed. A lot of people talk about David Bowie, but Mick Ronson's um, arrangements uh, and his guitar was a really big part of that sound. And learned his sister spoke before the screening because he died uh, in the 90s. His sister spoke before the screening, spoke about him. One thing that fascinated me was at school he got up to grade seven on his piano. And then before they went and recorded Hunky Dory, he went back to Hull and went back to the same old woman who taught him piano as a kid and finished his studies, basically. A bit like how, um, you're like this, Steve, I, I, I see it how um, Luke in Return of the Jedi went back to Yoda uh, to complete his studies there. That's the way I saw that. Um, and he learned composition. And the first thing he ever uh, arranged was Life on Mars. And that's one hell of a first arrangement. Um, the second day was the most intense day of cinema I've ever had. I saw four films with about 10, 15 minutes between each one. Um, three of them were over two hours long, and there were some pretty dark themes there. The first one I, want to talk, first one I saw was a film called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which David Bowie himself said was his most credible performance. He plays uh, a POW uh, called Major Jack Selliers, uh, and it, it's a film that focuses on the relationship between uh, the British, primarily, um, captors and a Japanese prisoner of war camp uh, and the officers involved there. Really interesting. They actually, it, was a, it was a Japanese film filmed by a, a Japanese director, but it was mainly English language uh, with some subtitles. Um, really interesting. It's the first appearance in an English uh, language film of uh, Takeshi Kitano, um, who has been in so many fantastic Japanese films since then, and also the um, it's got Tom Conti in, and Tom Conti is one of those actors that I've always been a little bit. I know who Tom Conti is. I remember him being um, uh, Helen, Helen Baxendale's dad in Friends, for example. You know, like really, stu- and in middle-class films where people argue about nonsense, kind of, you know, in the 90s. Um, but I hadn't really seen him at, properly act before. And he's fantastic in Merry Christmas. Uh, he, obviously, David Bowie plays this Lawrence of Arabia-style rebellious um, prisoner, and it's a very interesting role. However, I think the heart of the film is Tom Conti and uh, Takeshi Kitano playing opposite sides of this divide and these weird friendships almost that occur during times of war. But at the same time, uh, Tom Conti gets beaten raw by uh, Katano, uh, Captain Hari, uh, Hara, I think it is. Um, And at one point Hara says to him, I'd admire you more if you killed yourself. And there's a lot of this exploration of honor uh, and the fact that the Japanese soldiers wouldn't let, they'd rather die than be captured. But the English soldiers were saying, well, no, we want to escape and we want to fight you. You know, death is the coward's way out. So really, really interesting film, um, beautifully shot and uh, got a lovely soundtrack as well. And I know that uh, Owen watched it kind of in the last few days as well. Yeah. Well, when you posted your review on the blog, um, a few reviews, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to uh, Love Film, see what they've got free that's Bowie's, um, mm. uh, uh, Bowie's catalogue online. And, uh, yeah, this is one of those films. And, uh, I mean, it, it seems to be compared a lot to Bridge on the River Kwai. And I can see the comparisons because, you know, it's about this Japanese POW camp and it's the British soldiers and it's about the relationship. But what I thought 
was quite interesting was whereas Bridge on the River quite is about the different sides of that relationship, this really tries to delve a little bit more into the actual relationship between those two um, sides of that coin. So, you know, that you mentioned with Tom Conti and uh, Kitano, Takeshi Kitano, it's their relationship really that glues the film together. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought it was um, quite interesting sort of psychological take on that that side of you know war dramas that you don't normally get but also i thought you know Bowie, Bowie, Bowie or Bowie, whatever we're going to call him <laughs> was um he was quite he was quite good in it you know it was a, a, an assured performance he was very solid and you know his relationship with his younger brother within the flashbacks really was where the characterization from from for his um his celia or whatever mm, his name yeah celia's character came from and it was quite well handled. It was, it was, a, you know, a decent film, much better than than I was expecting, really. Mm. I know I shouldn't say that, but I, I wasn't expecting a lot from it. But it was, it was quite good. Yeah, and it's good. Those flashback scenes are quite interesting because all yeah. of a sudden you've got David Bowie playing a seventeen-year-old, and it does jump <laughs> a little bit because. Yeah. You go, oh, hang on. No, that's that's like 30-odd-year-old David Bowie there playing a schoolboy. <laughs> that was a little bit odd, uh, but I could see why they had to go down that route yeah. kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I went from so I went from that film uh, about the despair and meditative nature of a POW camp. Then I watched The Man Who Fell to Earth, which I thought I liked more when I, I had seen it as a youngster. Um, yeah, it, it's just not it's not as good as I wanted it to be. I think the man who fell to earth. Um David Bowie plays Thomas Jerome Newton, who is an alien who comes to Earth to find water well, to basically get water and then build spacecraft to transfer water back to his home planet, which is dying. Um, but he becomes seduced by human nature and paranoia, starts drinking, uh, and eventually gets discovered by the government. So it's um it's a is it's two hours twenty minutes or something? Bowie is essentially playing himself in this, and it's quite interesting. Um, Nick Rogue, who directed it, who also directed Mick Jagger in Performance uh, and directed Don't Look Now in the seventies as well. Um, this is from nineteen seventy six. He cast David Bowie in this after seeing David Bowie in Alan Yentob's Cracked Actor documentary, um, where David Bowie was a British rock star travelling by limousine across America because he doesn't like to fly, um, drinking milk uh, constantly and taking loads of cocaine and being this really paranoid, delusional figure. And basically Nick Rogue looked at that and went, yeah, that's my alien. Um, uh, and and Bowie's performance in this is fantastic. Um, all the performances are brilliant, uh, especially Rip Torn. Seeing a young Rip Torn, that threw me completely because I only know Rip Torn as an old man and seeing him being quite a young, um, a young man full of vitality and thing. That was, that was an interesting and And it made me realize hey, he has actually been a very good actor. My main problem was that there was just so many ideas going on at times and the script got a little bit messy. I felt so not, not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, but, I don't, not the science fiction classic I, I remembered it or as I was hoping it to be. Um, then after that, straight after that, I watched the film which will live with me long in the memory. It's called Christiana F. It's a West German film from 1981, uh, directed by Uli Adel. Uh, and it's I didn't know going into this screening that it is the based on the true life story of a woman called Christiana F. Um, 
the the fact that we don't know her full surname well we do in real life but we don't know at the time becomes clear during the film and i don't want to ruin that bit but um it's shot largely on handheld cameras it's very ken loach in its approach um very cinema verite and using non-professional actors and that is basically the story of a 14 year old girl who um starts going to a nightclub at weekends with her mate and it's it's almost this public information film about the uh, about gateway drugs and the the slippery slope of taking that very first drug off someone uh and in some ways it, you think well yeah it's very telegraphed and it's very public information uh, you know basically she takes this drug and then she takes the next drug and then she takes the next drug then before you know it she's selling uh she's in the sex trade and she's giving hand jobs to old men to score heroin for her 14 year old boyfriend who is also giving hand jobs to old men um and at that point about halfway through the film you just you just get punched in the stomach by this one and you realize this was being uh the main character christiana f is played by a 14 year old girl the girl at the center of this film was a 14 year old girl when she filmed it um and there are quite graphic drug taking scenes there is a withdrawal scene uh with the two 14 year olds um who decide to get off heroin that makes train spotting look like the i, I don't know a merchant ivory picture it is horrific I, I i really want everyone to see this film but i also would never want to recommend it to anyone if you see what i mean it is brutal absolutely brutal the other the reason it was part of bowie fest is um it uses bowie's berlin era music as the soundtrack and at one point quite near the beginning of the film christiana f goes to a david Bowie. she's obsessed with david bowie goes to a david bowie concert in west berlin as well and so you get some live concert footage of david bowie performing station to station um which but like halfway through, I noticed that all the great Bowie music had kind of stopped and it was her descent into hell. Um, basically, there was less and less David Bowie, and it, David Bowie music. And then she ends up selling all of her David Bowie records just to pay for like one shot. Um, it's horrible. Um, and like I say, it got under my skin. I had to leave. As soon as it finished, I had to go outside and catch my breath. Um but it's an absolutely incredible piece of filmmaking. It is one of the most powerful films I've ever seen. So I, I will, I want people to see it, but do not see it lightly. Um, that would be my recommendation there. And then luckily I finished off with a 90 minute vampire film directed by Tony Scott that night, the hunger. Um, I, I don't know if any, anyone here has seen the hunger. No, no. I'll take that as a no. Uh, it's Tony Scott's debut. Um, it's very 80s, very schlocky. It opens with um, uh, Bauhaus playing in a New York nightclub kind of thing. It's got Catherine Deneuve as Miriam, an Egyptian immortal uh, who drinks the blood of her victims. She doesn't have fangs, though, and she doesn't have an aversion to sunlight. And the main problem with this film is it's a vampire film without proper vampires, and that annoyed me. Uh, I, I like my vampire films to at least follow follow certain classic conventions uh bowie plays her lover a 300 year old cellist who all of a sudden starts to age rapidly and the makeup in this was far better than jay edgar i was really impressed by david bowie as a young uh, vital 30 year old and then very quickly he became a 50 60 year old and it looked spot on then 
and as he got to become like 120 or something, started to look a little bit ropey in terms of the makeup. But like I say, still better than Jay Edgar ever did. Um, the main saving point of this film is that Catherine Deneuve and a young Susan Sarandon have a fantastic sex scene. What can, <laughs> what can I say? It's worth it for that. Um, but yeah, it it was a very, very Tony Scott film. You could see the flash and the sheen uh, of, of the work that he does. Um, but it wasn't anything that I would say people should go and see. Definitely not. So that was my that was day two, and then uh, luckily day three, uh, the kind of day that I don't think Jerry would have enjoyed. Uh, two musicals and then a TV documentary. Um, first one we're talking about sounds like my idea of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first one is Labyrinth. Okay, um, I, to many people that it, that's their experience of David Bowie, especially if they've not been introduced to the music very much. But if you mention David Bowie to people, they do think Labyrinth. And I think for people of a certain age, and you know, I'm okay. I'm old, 32 and all that. But a lot of the people at Bowie Fest were of the age where they saw Bowie do Starman on top of the pops in 1972, 1973. So obviously they're older than me. People my age, but Bowie in Labyrinth was that same kind of moment where you go, oh my God, this guy is just from another world. But at the same time, um, I don't, how, how many of you have seen Labyrinth out of quick interest? A long, um, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, okay. same as Steve, ages ago. Okay, so it's yeah, you know, it's a nice Jim Henson story. You know, loads of Jim Henson puppets in it, scripted by one of the Pythons, Terry Jones. Okay. To give you an idea of where my head was at having watched those four films the day before, um, I took my because I took my notebook with me. And after the film I looked at my notebook and I'd written things like Dreams Within Dreams, Sarah's Room equals the usual suspects notice board. Um, fantasy driven by sexual awakening, puberty, uh, and then in quotes, your mother is a fucking aardvark, um, which I'm sure I heard one of the characters say in the background of one of the scenes. And at one point I put 50 shades. I, I've, I've no idea what I meant by that. And also the 99%, because at one point uh, Sarah, played by Jennifer Connelly, says, it's not fair. And Bowie says, you say that so often, I wonder what your basis for comparison is, basically insinuating that she's grown up in privilege. And I thought, what am I doing here? This is just a great, fun kids' film with some brilliant songs. And I, I that at that point, I thought, right, I need to go for a drink after this before I go and see um, Absolute. But yeah... Um, What's great about that? What you say is that watching lots of Bowie films makes your mind melt and makes you go a little bit mental. I think it was those particular films the day before. I think Christiana F, I think, was the one which really sent me over the edge. But, um, yeah, I, I felt like Bowie in the 70s, uh, co-caddled and paranoid without any kind of need for it. Um, I, was, I was living solely on Pilsner Urkel and... Um, uh, there was a McDonald's around the corner, so I popped out to get a double cheeseburger in between films because I only had five minutes or so. So that that's what I was. I was more like Elvis rather than uh, uh, Bowie in the 70s. Um, but the great thing about Bowie in Labyrinth, and anyway, it was fantastic to see it on the big screen, and it did remind me what a great family film it is. Bowie is having fun with it, and he doesn't at any point give the sense that he feels it's beneath him, which I think is really important with big stars um i'm not saying you know big actors but big stars i'm not saying that bowie's a massive actor um 
they've got to give the sense of you got the impression he was still giving his all he was treating it seriously and the only other comparison i can think of was when rick mail did george's marvelous medicine for bbc's jack and Ori. um and there is this sense of an adult who is just engaging with a completely different audience and the different challenges and rewards that brings so bowie in labyrinth is incredible i i i will stand by that film and by that performance till the day i die um and then i watched absolute beginners and i just want to say quickly it's nowhere near as bad as its reputation uh is uh it's it, it actually i think it's an underrated film now so um it's basically a musical uh based on the 1959 colin uh novel by colin mckinnis uh, about the Notting Hill race riots in 1958. It's quite fluffy at times. There's some duff lines and some cod psychology, but there's some good songs. Ray Davis has a lovely little cameo. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it was a fun way to spend 90 minutes, so I was happy with that. And then the whole thing ended with a showing, a very, very rare showing of uh, Alan Yentop's Cracked Actor documentary, which the Turner winning prize, uh, Turner Prize winning uh, artist Jeremy Della um, did a conversation with Alan Yentop afterwards. He's a massive fan of it. It's available in loads of bits on YouTube. Uh, it is one of the great rock documentaries of all time. I didn't include it before because it's only on television, um, but it is just a fascinating portrayal of a man completely in uh, control of what he's saying, even though he sounds completely mad. Uh, Jeremy Della described it as Bowie's best on-screen performance. And after this weekend, I cannot argue with that at all. So um, Bowie Fest was a fantastic experience. Again, thanks to everyone involved in that. Uh, Even as a massive Bowie fan, I learned so much from the weekend. Uh, And it it did make me realise, yeah, I think David Bowie can stand there and be proud of his work on screen as well as his work on record. Excellent. Any more free press weekends lined up for us? Uh, no, no. If I, I'll, I'll do my best for you, um, but yeah, if I can find one that's, uh, I'm. Do you know what? I'll, I'll look out for you. I'd love to send. I'd love to send Steve, especially to. Uh, I, I, if I could find another Bowie Fest for you, Steve, I'll, I'll send you. In fact, Bowie Fest is going to Toronto, New York, and Berlin. So maybe we could try and maybe we could try and arrange that. <laughs> <laughs> any um meet anyone um yeah i it was oh i got giddy as a schoolboy because i got to meet woody woodmansey who is what the drummer from the spider from mars i met a spider from mars and that and had my picture taken with him and he signed the poster and I, oh, that was that was me giddy as a schoolboy i met glenn matlock who was just in the audience uh at one of the things uh Glenn Matlock, the original bassist of the Sex Pistols before they kicked him out for Sid Vicious, and actually Glenn Matlock was the talented one. Um, Not got uh, such a cool name, though, has he? No, exactly. So, you it know. should have been called Glenn... Oh, I don't know, Glenn... Nailbomb. Yeah. <laughs> Nailbomb? That's quite anarchic. <laughs> That's, that's a really hardcore name. Yeah. See, that's why I couldn't be in a punk band. I was just, I was thinking Glenn, Glenn Angry. <laughs> but no, Steve drops nail bomb. Let's <laughs> go extreme. Yeah, I, know, I like it. Um, 
and uh, yeah, like a few people around who knew, but like Maggie Ronson, the sister of Mick Ronson, and uh, a couple. Of, yeah, it was just um, I didn't see anyone else famous though, sadly. Um, but I'd fuck it. I met a spider from Mars. I'm going to dine out on that in my very small circle of friends for the next few years. Speaking as someone uh, from Born Offside, uh, go and check out their podcast. It's very nice when you start getting recognised that you actually start getting free stuff. Yes. If you're listening, free stuff is always welcome. Yeah. Yeah, we are so ready to sell out as well. See, I'll sell out in a hop. (laughs) The thing is, we don't have the equipment. I know Dave got like a randomly just got a pair of boots like sent to his office and stuff. Oh yeah, we've, we've all got about a pe- we've all had a pair of boots now. There's about four of us who've got a brand new pair of boots. Well, what's the film equivalent of a nice new pair of boots that haven't box sets? Send us send us box sets. I'll watch them. <laughs> I love a box set. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a, a new a new LED TV set. if it's going. John wants to send me a nice LED TV. Yeah. I would say I would I would say free love film memberships, but since I cancelled my my membership with Love Film, I probably stocked up about eight months free membership with them. Right, Jerry's been rather quiet, so why don't you tell us what you've been watching this week? I've actually watched a couple of films this week. Well, I watched half of one before I ran out. So I'm in the middle of writing my master's dissertation. So I uh, ran out of time in my uh, attempt to dodge my very highly accumulated sleep deprivation and watch a film called Dead Snow, which I'm sure I've been a scene. I have, yeah. Oh, oh, I've got this ready to watch. I've got it downloaded onto my tablet. I've also yeah, I can't seen wait. It. Nazi zombies, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. I've seen half of this ish before. Um, the, the lack of sleep caught up with me. So I need to watch the other half of this. But what I saw was very good. Um, I'll save a full review of that till I've actually watched the whole thing. But Nazi Zombies is fucking cool. I mean, <laughs> that was, I, I didn't, I've never heard of this before. And I stumbled across it on Love Film and I was like, what? What is this? Nazi Zombies. I, I also yes. like the fact that the um the tagline on the front is I'm Spy, die! Which, yeah. you know, that, that I was hooked then. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the film I actually sat through all of, um, just released on DVD um, and Blu-ray. Anybody at the studio wants to send me a, a copy. Today, yes, it was out today. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have another one to, to sell for profit, thanks, you know, while I'm giving you some free promotion. Uh, the Hunger Games I watched this week, um, which I had some reservations about, I'm not going to lie. Um I've seen Battle Royale, and I've heard this was kind of like Battle Royale for kids. Wasn't it? Wasn't it based on a book? Yeah, it is. is. Yeah. Have, have you read the book? No, I haven't read the book. My girlfriend, however, has read all three of them uh, recently, um, or she's finishing the third one at the moment. But we kind of held off watching it until she'd read the book. She wanted to read uh, read them first, and apparently, it's quite a faithful adaptation. I believe James has read them as well. You can confirm this. I've, I've, oh no, what happened was I saw it in the cinema and then went and read the next two books purely because, so I, I haven't read the first book. Um, I've seen the first film and then read the other two books because, because I actually did think, right, I want to find out what happens here. So it, it got me intrigued in that way, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, I'll try and give a brief rundown. Um, people who've seen Battle Royale will be familiar with the kind of 
dystopian uh, fight to the death kind of thing that's going on in it. Basically, it's a, it's a future, what I, I guess is America in the future, and there's these different towns. This isn't really explained in the, in the movie, but it was explained by my girlfriend because she's read the books. <laughs> and there's all these different districts, um, and each one of them specialises in a certain thing, um, and they're, they're administered by the capital, which is a, a central thing. Um, where there's a sort of wealthy elite who run everything and subjugate the rest of the population. And, you know, everyone lives in sort of semi-medieval kind of conditions in these districts, you know. The, the way that the film's going for is really, they're, they're sort of back, you know, she's hunting with a bow and arrow and it's really backwards and the capital is really futuristic and modern and everyone's rich as fuck and they, um, you know, they have bright green hair and crazy purple clothes and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Um there's a real contrast and I really liked the aesthetic on it actually the, the capital um, the, the sort of bright vividness of it compared to the dull real grey tones of the, of the district um, what happens is in order to give retribution for some kind of rebellion which again wasn't very well explained but I had explained to me um, there was a rebellion in the past and in order to exact revenge upon the population the capital uh, hold these things called the Hunger Games every year, which is where two children from each district are randomly selected. And then they are all pitted against, they're given a bit of training, and then they're all pitted against each other in a fight to the death. And the one, the last one standing gets to, you know, live a life of luxury and everything and bring glory to their district. And it's all televised, massively televised. Um, there's a real sort of anti-authoritarian um, social criticism vein running in, you know, with criticism of mass media and, and sort of reality television as well as um, a criticism of, of, you know, capitalism and, and the financial elite ruling things and, and where it could end up, which um, I must say, I, I sort of played to my sympathies. I don't know about Jamie. I'm a massive lefty as well. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was it was good in that sense for me. Um, maybe if you, you live in the home counties and you, you like and money a bit more, you might find it a bit more, oh, look at all these poor people running around, oh, I'm glad they're killing each other. But for me, for me, you know, the social group... I, I the really hope sense. there's none of those people listening to this podcast. I just <laughs> want to make that clear. Um, and basically, it's, it's it's a fight to the death. It's kids. They're, they're between 12 and 16. So going into it, I was thinking, mm, this is a, a film marketed at kids. Um, how are they going to do this sort of brutal murder thing when actually it's a kid's film and, and they're kids themselves. Um, actually, it was done really well. Um, Jennifer Lawrence played the main character. Um, she was really good. She actually grew, I think as the film went on, she, she grew into the role as well. I think she, she got better. Um, it was just, if you've seen Battle Royale, it was all very familiar. I must say that was a bit of a criticism for me. If you've seen Battle Royale, the whole thing is, is, is very sort of, there's nothing new about it. However, I think most of the people who, who went to see this at the cinema and go buy it on DVD probably haven't seen Battle Royale, which, let's face it, not, not much of the population watches Japanese films. Um, so it was probably a very new experience for most people. And, and visually, it's a lot more striking than, than Battle Royale was. I must say, you know, they really go to town on, on the visual style. Mm-hmm. Um it's very involving in the end. Um, you get sort of get to know the different kids who are, who are doing the, the Hunger Games, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they really they portray the sort of reluctance and the fear and 
you know, not 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 all of them are comfortable with what they're doing, particularly the, the two sort of protagonists from the district that we're following. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but there, there are some twists and some emotional rendings, which I'm sure made James cry. Um, well, actually, no, I do remember not crying at this one. Because <laughs> that's how rare it is that I don't cry at a film. I, I remember when it doesn't happen. Um well, that's, that's, that shocked me. I thought there would be a particular moment, which was... Uh... Yeah, no, I, I, was, I was pretty pretty choked, I imagine, but yeah. Um, yeah, but but you mentioned about uh, the differences between this and Battle Royale, and I think Battle Royale is the, um, is the obvious comparison. Although, if you have a look at failcritics.com, um, I retweeted it earlier today. When this came out, I kind of reviewed it against lots of other films which pitted the general population against each other in fights to the death, including Death Race 2000, uh, Series 7, The Contenders, um, and um, Arnie's Running Man as well. Um, but what I did find, the difference between this and Battle Royale, because I, I watched the, them both in the same week, was um, this, this, there is far more, you do get far more involved in the characters. In Battle Royale, there are just so many people getting, there's someone getting killed every kind of few minutes in a variety of different gruesome ways. And it's great to watch in that sense. Um, but I found watching Battle Out, it was really difficult to get to the heart of characters' motivations and who they really were. And it was almost like, um, at times, watching a computer game rather than a film. And I do love Battle Out. I think it's a great film. But I think this definitely had a better characterization, uh, especially Jennifer Lawrence. Is it Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. As Katniss, she she really, really does kind of carry this film. She's fantastic in this. Um, it, it, and, but it also you reminded me of the um, the joke that ran, went round Twitter at the time, which I did quite like. I don't quite agree with. I think Mark Commode said something quite similar on the radio. But um, do you know what they call the Hunger Games in France? Battle Royale with cheese. Um, that would, yeah, I quite like that, but but it's an unfair comparison because I do think Hunger Games has got it's got some credibility actually. It had more credibility than I thought it would. Yeah, I mean the the, the kills. The, the thing I was worried about is that this is essentially quite a violent topic. Mm. You know, it's, it's kids killing each other, being forced to kill each other for mass entertainment. You know, it's not a, a palatable family or teen movie like you would usually expect. Mm. However, they, they managed to sort of not avoid going gruesome but they, they, they hinted enough to let yeah. you know what's going on but it wasn't sort of gratuitous or can i can i just ask you did have you watched the the home kind of dvd version then jerry is yeah. that what you watched right okay because i do know that because they're advertising it as the version that wasn't in the cinema and i know that they had to tone it down to get a 12 rating um in the cinema and I get I get the impression I've not seen it yet, but I get the impression the home viewing version is a little bit more. There's a bit more blood, or there's a bit more violence, or something. Right. I mean, I think it was a bit more toned down. I do know when they were talking to the BBFC, they were having to cut certain scenes. It was specifically blood. They were pretty much having to not show any blood. Um, in the cinema show, there, there is a bit of splatter, you see, from time yeah, to and time. I, th- I think that splatter's been added back in. So people who were moaning that it had been toned down for cinema, I think they might want to try it again. Although, like you say, it's still not going to be like Battle Royale. It's not an 80. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the box with me to check what, what certificate it says on the box, but it might well be a 15 on the box, actually. I never, I never really thought of that. Um, even if it's a 12, I think they're a little bit more... Um, they always seem to be a bit more lax when it's for home DVD rather than cinema. I don't know why, but yeah. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, the, the violence was actually not as, you know, not as watered down as I thought it would be. However, for my taste, I, I would have liked it to be a bit more brutal and realistic. There was quite a lot of things that I didn't like about the film. I mean, I did like it overall, but there were quite a few things I didn't like about it. One, I didn't think it was it was explained all that well. I mean, I don't think you got enough of the background. And, and the fact, I think I enjoyed it a lot more because actually, you know, my girlfriend who's read the books could tell me and fill in bits. Yeah. She could, she could fill in the things that the, the, the film were completely unexplained. You know, there was a lot of things. I think I was trying to be desperate at the time because it's a kids' film or a teenage film, should I say, and it's already 2020 minutes, you know, more or less. Yeah, yeah, it, it's long. It's certainly not not short. Um, what did you think of um, Woody Harrelson? I thought he was excellent. That was that yeah. was one of my points. Was, was he was really good, and actually, I thought um, the woman who played uh, Effie Trinket, you know, oh, the, Elizabeth the Banks, woman, yeah, it was Elizabeth Banks, and I did not realise it was her at all. So, real kudos to the makeup people who managed to disguise it so well. Yeah, no, I didn't recognise when I first saw Oh, and Stanley Tucci is is awesome uh, as the kind of the, the big commentator of the Hunger Games as well. I, yeah. I love Stanley Tucci anyway, but he Stanley is Tucci. scary. Yeah, I recognise him from being, you know, the gay fella out of the devil. Yeah. Where's Ron? And actually, you know, he's, he's a totally different kind of character. And he was really good. There was, I would actually... There was quite a big sort of a well, maybe not a list. There was a lot of big names in this. Actually, I was surprised. You know, you've got Woody Harrelson just turns up. Um, there's Elizabeth Banks. There's Liam Hemsworth, who's who's making a name for himself now. I think mm. he's he's on the rise. There's um, Wes Bentley from um, American Beauty. Mm. Oh, uh, and um, Toby Young as well as uh, one of the co-commentators who I thought wasn't going to say anything for about half the film, and then I actually did get to say something because he's he uh, he was in. Um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy last year, and he is in um, Barbarian Sound Studio or something that I cannot wait to see this week. Um, but yeah, it's really good to see Toby Young in some roles because he's a very distinctive-looking man, um, and but he is a brilliant actor. Yeah, um, so there was quite a lot of good, you know, good names, some good performances. Adam Donald Sutherland, I thought, was really underused <sighs> and didn't really. Yeah. Much when he could have done a lot more. I'll tell you what, though, Lenny Kravitz turned up, and I was like, "Oh, it's Lenny Kravitz! Wow, and rubbish." <laughs> Lenny Kravitz is not good. He was oh god! And when you think about the, you know, how young the main stars are, you got mm. someone like Lenny Kravitz in there. You're thinking it's going to be a bit of an experienced head, and it was like they were carrying him through the scenes. Yeah. You know he was, um, yeah, not great. <laughs> he was really bad, really, really bad. Um, aside from the sort of the not developing the plot enough for, for my liking and really it, it needed to be taken a lot further I mean it just they needed to round it out a bit more and there was a lot of scenes you know that I thought were a bit unnecessary that they could have cut out and added a bit more background into the story rather than having so much time when they're training and spending a lot a lot of time on that which which dragged out a bit otherwise though apart from that it was paced pretty well um, and 
really it was it was very very good um i know i've talked about it for a long time which which is obviously a good sign but yeah i really i, I enjoyed it it's definitely a recommendation there we go then time for jerry to shut up right let's um go on to what i watched this week i won't be long because it's not really worth taking up a lot of your time but I was flicking it through Netflix, um, Netflix US, saw a film that sounded quite good called Very Bad Things, starring John Favreau, Cameron Diaz, Christian Slater, Jeremy Piven. Um, basically, a group of guys go on a stag do to Vegas, end up killing the stripper slash hooker by accident, and then the hotel security guard more deliberately and they have to hide the bodies and can the group stay together and keep all their alibis and story straight and can they handle it mentally um it starts off quite good starts off a bit of fun so essentially uh what starts off as an okay watchable film descends into what is terrible boring um predictable and stupid and it really turns out that the the worst thing um, about very bad things is watching it. <laughs> hey, so it's a very bad film. Watching it, watching it was a very bad thing. Dear, and yeah, I re- you know, you might see it going through Netflix and think, yeah, I'll watch that because it's only about an hour and a half long, and you know, it it could be watchable at best. No, it's just keep away from it. I mean. It's probably one of the worst things that anybody involved in that film has ever done. Wow, that's quite impressive. Although, it's impressive uh, for Christian Slater, though, because he's, he was in the UV Bowl film. I don't know whether you saw it, Alone in the Dark, which was... Oh, yeah. He was and really poor in that. Yeah, Jer- Jerry's just messaged us because his mic's playing up a bit just to say someone make the points about Christian Slater and Cameron Diaz being utterly shite. Um, well, I, I mean... to directly quote Jerry there. <laughs> Rather than, uh, I'm not. I like Christian Slater in some things. He's done some terrible stuff. He's in True Romance, so I'll always forgive him anyway because he's in True Romance. He's also in um, uh, John Woo's Broken Arrow with John Travolta, which I I love as well. Um, so he yeah, he's he's not too bad. Um, <laughs> Jerry just said he made Hollow Man Two direct DVD, and um, I didn't even realise there was a Hollow Man Two because Hollow Man is such <laughs> a terrible film. <laughs> the hell green green lit a sequel to that but yes um yeah so avoid then steve is that what you said someone spoiled that uh spoiled that film for me actually by telling me like loads about it um in about 1998 and i decided not to watch it since then so so i'll i'll, I'll stick to that i might as well yeah don't <laughs> I've, ever. Not, I've, I've not watched it in this long <laughs> as well go the rest of my life without watching so, it. <laughs> I watched it I watched it quite late and I didn't really want to watch something that had a a really sort of you know good plot that I might fall asleep halfway through and forget what was going on so I thought I'd watch that and it'd just be watchable at best and it was crap uh Owen what have you been watching <laughs> I, I watched um actually I watched quite a few action films this week because of um Mainly because of Expendables, I think. For some reason, watching Sylvester Stallone again, after watching all the Rocky films and Rambo and stuff, I ended up watching quite a lot of 
uh, of action films. The, but the particular one I'm going to talk about is Time Cop with John Claude Van Damme. Yes. Um, <laughs> because I hadn't seen it before. I watched Universal Soldier as well, and I was kind of, you know, tossing them both up in the air and seeing which had land first to choose which one I was going to talk about. But I think Time Cop's got more interesting plot to it. So I'm going to go for, for Time Cop. If you, don't, if you haven't seen it and you're like me about a week ago, it's essentially a story of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is a security agent uh, or kind of policeman for the for the government who polices stuff that happens in the past. He's a time traveller, basically. <laughs> I mean, um, you've already lost it at this point. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, basically. I mean, <laughs> the tagline. Something gets to the charts, we can understand it. <laughs> Yeah, the tagline to the film is, they killed his wife 10 years ago, there's still time to save her. So, you know. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> That's not the rules of time. Watch Doc- Doctor Who can't do that. You can't do that in time travel. You can't go back and stop things happening. It's not how it works. Well, well, Steve, that's what he's policing. He stops people going into the past and changing things. He's there to basically stop people from changing the past, which is why, even though it's 10 years later, he hasn't gone back and rescued his wife, because he's a good guy at the end of the day, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's a hero, he's a policeman, he's honest, he's, you know, all for justice and all that kind of thing, so he hasn't messed up the past by bringing his wife back, but he's going back now to stop a guy from getting all the money that he wants to run a TV campaign to become president in the future. Because if you had the power to go back in time, that's obviously what you would do. Um, but <laughs> Personally, anyway. I'd take, take the book of um, sports winners back to a, a past self and let myself win loads <laughs> of money that way. But, you That'd know. That would be a lot easier yeah. than what he's supposed to do. Um, but anyway, plot holes aside, uh, as a sort of action film and sort of complete, well, it's kind of in the middle of my action film binge, really. Um it was a great film. It's very, I mean, it's just ludicrous and it's full of plot holes and all kind of problems and paradoxes you, you kind of expect from a film like this where they haven't really put a lot of thought into the um, constructing this concept. But, um, you know, it's a good action film. Jean-Claude Van Damme is great in it. He's got a lot of charisma. I mean, he's just Jean-Claude Van Damme, really. He's got so much swagger that he carries through the whole film. Um you know, this, although the plot itself, at the, at the heart of it, it's quite quite a, 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 a neat little story, really. It's not something that's so unfamiliar in so much as it's been about, you know, this good cop who's trying to stop the cooking bad guy from doing bad things and, you know, also dealing with the loss of his wife, I think, which was um, brilliantly satirised recently in the, uh, the Charlie Brooker programme, a, a Touch of Cloth. I don't know whether any of you saw it. I've got it to watch. I've, not, I've taped it. I've not seen it yet. That that was I found that hilarious. It was kind of like um, Naked Gun or you know, mm. that, it was yeah, brilliant. But anyway, it, that's the kind of thing that he's like. Is you know this this honest cop. He's got a lot of problems. So it's quite familiar already, regardless of you know this flimsy time travel theme that they've worked into the story. But that's not a negative of the film. I mean, if anything, it means you could just sort of discard these expected complexities and just enjoy the film for, for what it is which is just an action film you know you don't yeah. go into it for all these clever twists you're not expecting um 
you know, the, the twist in the film to kind of roundhouse kick you in the face. You're kind of just expecting these silly, childish punches to, you know, they're just playful. They're inserted just for fun, basically. Mm-hmm. It is adapted from um, the comic book as well. I haven't read the comic book that it's based on. Um, but I've been quite interested to read that just to see the, the, the comparison, whether that actually focuses more on the story. Um, but, you know, it's just a fun film. It didn't really rely on on Van Damme just being Van Damme through the whole film. It's not just a vehicle for, for Jean-Claude Van Damme. There is, there is the plot there. There are some nice ideas inserted into it. Um, it's ba- Jean-Claude Van Damme is basically the safety net for when the story's not working. When, when something's not really happening, there, they, you know, it's not that exciting. Well, we'll just have Van Damme beat some bad guys up kind of thing, you know, fire his gun off at some of these people. Um, but there was, there were, there was really stupid things in there. Like he has to get into this like time travel car to go into the past. So, <laughs> yeah. It's fired at this wall that goes through a portal. Yet whenever he wants to come back, he just presses like a button on his coat. <laughs> when he comes back to the future, he comes, he arrives in a car. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but you know, I kind of forgive it that because it's like say, it's just a fun film. If you go into it expecting a trashy action film, then you're going to enjoy it. If you go into it expecting Primer but with a policeman, then you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I I quite enjoyed that. I thought it was good and it was just a, a nice way to pass an afternoon on Friday. It's years since I've seen it and I've, I've got a real hankering to watch it again now. I yeah, I mean, like I say, I watched Universal Soldier and. We, both saw Expendables too, and I just yeah. thought, yeah, I'll see some more Van Damme because uh, once you've seen one of his films, you just kind of get yeah. an addiction, isn't it? You just want Have more. you seen Kickboxer? Very, very long time ago. Oh, Kickboxer is my favourite Van Damme performance. Round when, kick. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when he kicks the tree until he breaks his leg kind of thing and then has to reset it. Um, and, and Tong Po is awesome as the the... Oh yeah! Oh God, I'm, I might go and watch Kickboxer after this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Bleed like my Lee, my Lee. Good fuck. It's an amazing film. Sorry. And James, other than stuff by David Bowie, what have you been watching this week? I think you're just gonna. Yeah, you don't need to hear me. To I, I literally have just watched David Bowie films. So there we go. Then. And 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 our main review. That's all I've watched this week. So there you go. There we go. Lovely segue into our main review, the remake of Total Recall, starring Colin Farrell, Kate Beckinsale, Jessica Biel, and others. The remake of the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger film. What? Yeah, and you say re- now this this is one thing that has annoyed me. A before I watched it, and B since I've watched it, actually. Now. You, you, you are exactly right. It is a remake of the Arnie film, but for months before and after they finished shooting and everything, the producers and the studio and stars tried to claim that it wasn't a remake of that film, but it was more a, uh, they went back to the source material. You know, they tried to be all intellectual and go, no, no, we've gone back to this. And I'm sorry, it is not at all, because I then went on Friday afternoon, I went and got, we can remember it wholesale for you by Philip K. Dick out of the library. And this is nothing like that. And they've copied all the best bits in this that they've copied from 
Arnie's film. That's what I'm going to say to start mm. off with. So it is defi- definitely a remake. Do you know what I thought watching it? Yeah. This is the Bourne identity set in the future. Yes, I got some Bourne. There, I got a lot of Bourne identity out of this. Um, yeah, d- that is a massive... Uh, I got Bourne identity and Minority Report as well. There, yeah, it just I, I looked and my... felt like Minority Report. It looked and felt, yeah, like Minority Report. It also felt, I mean, just from the visuals, like um, Blade Runner to me. Yes, I think I, yeah, especially the um, the kind of, the colony was very, very Blade Runner, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and also, I mean, it's got a lot of commercial bits in it throughout the, mm. you know, this futuristic world, which is part of, you know, the principles of what Blade Runner's built on, isn't it? With all this commercialisation <laughs> of, you know, stuff in the future. And, yeah. and I suppose it's the same kind of thing, you know, Total Recall is you know, this this business, basically. So this it kind of dro- drills into it, this whole advertising... Uh... Well, uh, I mean, the the plot is, essentially, um, in the future, for some reason, there's two territories. There's the United Federation of Britain and the colony. The colony is basically Australia. Um, Colin Farrell plays Douglas Quaid, who has got a pretty menial factory job. Uh, ends up going to a company called Recall, where he wants to have the memories of uh, the secret agent implanted into his mind, but it turns out that he already has had his mind implanted with fake memories and is living the life of somebody who doesn't exist, and he's actually somebody completely different to what he thinks he is. Or is he? Or is he? But And you say that, Jerry. They could have played with that so much more. There was probably one scene where they were playing around with the idea of maybe what we're watching on screen now is another false memory or or, or is. But apart from that, quite early on, it felt like to me they went, yeah, obviously this is happening. This is just a generic um, man on the run film. I mean, visually, Um, the film... I'm not asking for Inception. But I'm asking for a little bit. I think again, I think the original film was far more ambiguous and played around with that idea far more than this one did. Visually, the film was was quite impressive, but as an actual plot, it was just a bit by the books, very average sci-fi. It wasn't even sci-fi. It was just born set in the future. It wasn't really. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. it, other than the other than the setting, it wasn't particularly science fiction. Yeah, the setting. Sorry, go ahead, Owen. I was just going to say, I think the problem with it as well was that it kind of hit its height quite early on and then plateaued. And it mm. kind of, it didn't, it didn't increase the excitement or tension at any point. It didn't, you know, turn into more of a drama or anything like that. It just kind of went, okay, well, we're quite good at doing these action scenes and we've got the visuals right. So we'll just throw in more action scenes and then yeah. the next bit will be just another action scene and the next bit is another action scene. And it doesn't really develop what's actually a quite interesting concept in a quite interesting world that is, is it, being shown yeah, to you. Yeah, it pays no respect to the source material whatsoever, really. Uh, and that's, that, that is frustrating. Um, Len Wiseman, director, has directed the Underworld films. Uh, he's also Kate Beckinsale's husband. Did it? Did Kate Beckinsale just look like she'd stepped off of an Underworld film to anyone else, uh, especially about halfway through? She just dressed all in black, being all vampy. Uh, <laughs> and I just thought, oh, right, okay. So she's doing her Underworld thing. Um, Colin Farrell was doing his con- doing his best. It, he didn't have much to work with with Quaid, did he? And it's weird where you think, okay, he physically he's more believable than 
uh, Schwarzenegger in the 1990 film. Um, but I, I honestly think Schwarzenegger acted better in that film than Colin Farrell did in this one. Because people will, people do slag off Arnie for his acting. Um, but I think Arnie just brought so much more to the role than Farrell does in this one. Yeah, I think that's the key point. Oh, yeah, no, I think people in general, kind of uh, um, in broad strokes, say that Arnie can't act. Okay. Yeah. But uh, are you exactly. Total Recall recall is one where he's fantastic, yeah. Well, I think you're quite right there in saying that it's, I mean, it's a different character, really, isn't it? I mean, Quaid that Arnie plays in, in the original and the Quaid that Farrell plays, they're, they're different people, really. I mean, yeah. it's not like they've just transported Arnie's film and told Farrell to go out and be this action star. No. <laughs> they basically tried to fit it around, like, you know, like it's been pointed out already, into a more sort of born, it kind of feels like a spy where Arnie's character felt like a rebel, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, but I... I think he was all right in it, actually, Farrell. I think they, as I say, they play different characters, but I thought Farrell was good at the character he plays. Of the two characters from both films, I think I prefer Arnie's version. But, yeah, you know, no, I, exactly. Just... I think he's he's not got much to work with Farrell. You don't get too much. You don't really get under his skin. Uh, he didn't no. annoy me by any stretch of the imagination. Um, talking about the kind of acting performances, though, uh, Brian Cranston as uh, Cohagen um, he did nothing for me whatsoever and I'm starting to think that Breaking Bad is either a fluke or he just can't choose roles very well I don't think he's a fluke because he was he was brilliant in in Malcolm in the Middle as the, as the dad yeah he was, was probably, probably yeah, the, he was probably yeah. the best thing in Malcolm in the Middle but maybe films because uh, um, he was really terrible his... in Rock of Ages as well. The um, Rock of Ages was and... just a terrible film. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It feels like um, his eight, it feels like he's just taking any role that he gets offered at the moment. Because uh, he, he was really good in Drive. Um, he was very good in Drive, I thought. But yeah, it's like, no, Brian, you, you've got some talent. You can be used better than this. What really disappointed me, Bill Nye, um, just, I, 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 I I never thought that I wouldn't love a Bill Nye performance, and he just did nothing for me in this. He just turned up and died. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert, but... <laughs> well, I don't uh, think we're doing a spoiler alert this week. But no, pay- people, have, people have seen Total Recall, so, yeah. That, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that that was a shame. And I hate. If, we, if we're not doing spoilers, can I just say, Richter wasn't at the party. I was very disappointed by that. Do you Which, get the reference? Oh, oh, right. Yeah, you know, Arnie's yeah. classic one line, you know. Yes. See you at the party, Richter. Well, Richter wasn't in this film at all. I was very disappointed yeah. by that. Yeah, and do you know what? Actually, there was a few other... This is the bit that annoyed me, was that it tried to then kind of pay homage to the Arnie film, but um, but did it without any kind of... Uh, I've spoken to people online about this. Did it without any context. Uh, the first point, someone mentioned, uh, early on, Recall's mentioned, and they drop in the fact that someone wanted to go to Mars. It's like, yeah, hang on, Mars is a really big part of that original film. Mars is also where um, Quaid, although he's called Quail in the book, um, d- wants to go. And the fact that um, 
Farrell doesn't w- want to go to Mars. That annoyed me. I'm sorry, that did. It was just, oh, he just wants a bit of a better life. Mars has got something wonderful and there's this exploration and this kind of wanting something on another world. So that annoyed me. Um, the woman with three breasts, but that, that was just dropped in. And, there, and yeah. there, at no other point did we see a mutant or did we see reasons why there might be a mutant. So that was nonsense. But, I mean, the film was a 12A, right? Yeah. And I, I know that swearing-wise, to get into certain category, you know, age categories of films, you're only allowed a certain amount of swears, yeah. right? So there must be some kind of rule with tits as well for a 12A. Yeah. Probably one pair. So how do you get round a three? <laughs> How, how did how did a BBFC get round that one? Because there's, there's, there's clearly more than a pair, but there's not two pairs. The, the ratings for films, anyway, just bullshit, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah. I mean, who here, when they were twelve years old, hadn't seen a film with tits in it? Exactly. Seriously, I mean, the whole thing is just bollocks, anyway. But um, that's a I, there was <laughs> one other bit where uh, he's going through passport control, and again, it's another thing where he's disguising his body. Um, but the woman in front of him. Did anyone else think she looked exactly like the woman that Arnie disguises himself in in the original Total Recall film? Yeah, uh, she says that she's going two weeks as well. Yes, that's little. it, yeah. yeah. Um, and I but, think she was put in deliberately to misdirect uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. Yeah, the people watching it. But that that was one reference I didn't mind. But yeah, there were others that, no problem. Also, this whole idea of the fall. Okay. Now, I'm not a scientist. Um, and and you I sure? know this is... Yeah, I know. I know this is science fiction, okay, but I find it really difficult to suspend my belief so much that I be- that okay, we've got we've got a mode of transport that goes through the molten core of the Earth now. I don't, what? I don't think it did. It go through the core. It very right at the beginning. It goes directly. It goes directly through the center of the Earth, and there was a bit where it gets a bit hot outside, um, and the fact that the gravity flip is because there shouldn't be much gravity, but. I'm sorry, we, we, we've built through the molten core of the earth <laughs> a lift shaft. What? That was that was nonsense. Is it and I was is really it worse than is it worse than twenty twelve and the neutrinos mutating? No, it's not worse than that. <laughs> no, that is no. one of the worst concepts of any sci-fi film. <laughs> I quite liked the, the idea of the fall. I thought it was quite I... nice that they, they attempted to take it away from just going to Mars and do something different. I don't think it worked as well. Well, you know, it's kind of appreciate. I kind of appreciate them trying to put their own identity on it, and the whole, you know, having the fall that moves between the colony and the federation. I think it it, it was an interesting idea. With you know, whether you agree with it works yeah. or it doesn't work is up to your own perceptions, I guess. But you know, the, I, the other thing that really annoyed me was the fact that it was set in London. Um, loads of it, and it was kind. Of, they kind of forgot that it was, and then they just crowbarred a shot of Big Ben in at one point. And stuff. <laughs> oh, by the way, it's London. Um, but the okay, I I could not get my head around the fact that there's been chemical warfare. Okay, and loads of the world has been destroyed, apart from basically what looks like Britain and Australia. Okay, so there's this open city. At no point does it look like we're, this city's under a bubble or anything like that. Um, but to get to the secret base, they go to the uh, secret base of the rebels. They take a tube, and they're still in London. But it that made no sense to me whatsoever. It's like, oh, hang on, there's all this rich prosperity and people living fine, and then literally a tube right away. You've got to wear a mask because it's uninhabitable there. That 
just that looked stupid to me. I don't know if anyone else was as picky as I was about that. Yeah, I mean, it was very... I mean, it's full of a lot of plot holes. And whilst we're on the subject of plot holes, can I just say, if you're going to have rebels in a film, can you just kind of make it clear what they're actually rebelling against? Can you not just assume that we think, oh, well, they're just living in this slum, so that means they're rebelling against everyone on the other side? Because yeah. there was no... Well, they're the rebels of what? They're freedom fighters for who? What are they doing exactly? And it was only right at the end. I think it was mentioned very briefly at the beginning and then yeah. kind of summed up at the end what they were actually rebelling for. Throughout yeah. the, whole, the whole film, I got no sense of, well, what's she actually doing? <laughs> that's a really good point. Until there's kind of like invasion talk, you, you do, you're right. You do end up thinking, well, yeah, there's... there's of, of course people have to like have yeah. menial it was like they were a bit the people were angry that some people had to have menial jobs and you know that's just society they were being paid for it it seemed to me Colin he might have wanted more from his life Douglas Quaid but he was he was hardly massively repressed by the looks of it exactly. uh, he had a yeah obviously he's a special case because he wasn't living the life that he thought he was but at the same time yeah i didn't you're right i didn't get that sense of them and us very much at all um the other the last thing i do just want to say is um i thought the action the fight scenes were directed quite badly i know a couple of occasions where there were fights either in say um quade's apartment or especially in the lift um you never felt that claustrophobic it never felt like they were fighting inside a lift it felt like they were fighting on a big stage um, and it was just badly shot, and it just goes to show, um, like, when you compare it, and it's completely different, but there's no reason this film couldn't have made its fight scenes look as claustrophobic as they do in The Raid, for example, made for a lot less money with a much less experienced director. Um, and I'm not saying it needed lots of, like, um, kung fu and stuff like that. All I'm saying is it should have been shot better so that it, gave that sense of claustrophobia. If there's a fight scene in a lift, you need to be kind of right in there. And it didn't look like that at all. It looked like the lift was about the size of five lifts, the way they were making some of those shots. That was my issue. Yeah, it was like they kept taking three of the sides of the lift off to get good camera angles in. Exactly. You know, there was no sense of being actually inside the lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, and, and that that's... Don't have the fight in a lift then. If, you, you know, <laughs> if, if you're not going to do that, don't know. But yeah, I think overall, there were a few nice touches. There were some nice bits of technology and I liked um, I liked how they dealt with a few things like the uh, certain ways that Quaid was getting his memory back, you know, the piano and stuff. Yeah, there were some nice touches, but it was just let down overall by a really saggy storyline that didn't really go anywhere. Um, and it's quite a forgettable film. I've... Apart from today, when I've been writing up my notes, I haven't thought about this film once since I went to see it. It's just really average. Just yeah, it's not terrible, but just average. Not a lot happens. It's kind of just a by the books film about you know with a sci-fi element to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It just felt like um, any generic, slightly futuristic sci-fi action film. Um, there was there was there was nothing really very original to it at all. It, which you know, and now I'm thinking, you know, did I actually go and see it, or or was that just oh, a yeah. whoa? <laughs> Got a bit better. Than <laughs> all right, man. <laughs> I, I I just want to say though, I think some of the action scenes were 
were quite good. I mean, the fight the in the house head, was cool. Oh, the car chase was cool. The first fight in the house with Kate Beckinsale was very cool, actually. Yeah. Um, and the sliding through the little window and stuff. Yeah, was that cool. that was good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the car chase was very uh, was nice. Um, yeah. Although it, she did run out of ammo at one point, and then you saw her check a gun, and she was out of ammo, and then in the next scene, she was shooting a gun again. So that's another continuity error. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> it, it just feel. Um, I was having a meeting this weekend. Um with someone about filmmaking and uh, he, he said to me a bit of advice all he'd always been given about filmmaking is you can make something um, good, cheap and quick, but not all three of them at the same time. Um, you know, and if you do all three, you know, so you've got to choose two of those and it felt like they had made this um, just, just quick, really quickly. I think they must've just blasted this film out because, you're right, there were a few kind of continuity errors like that where bits just didn't make sense. Um, and it almost felt like they filmed it and then went, yeah, we'll sort it out in the edit. Um, and then they realised they hadn't actually got the footage <laughs> yeah. that they need, so they just stuck it together anyway. You know, I'm not completely you know, going to rule out a film because it's got continuity errors in it no. anyway. I mean, Ed, the, the film I mentioned last week with Edward was, you know... It's one of the things he yeah. said. People don't care about that; they just want a good story, which is no. true. You know, if it's a good enough story, you can overlook things like that. Exactly. Well, um, look at the Dark Knight Rises. Um, I yeah, think we all but, enjoyed but that. And then you look back and go, actually, that doesn't quite work. Oh, it got it got turned like pitch black within about eight minutes of the stock exchange robbery <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but but I. There are, there's so many things that I only noticed when I went back and either watched it a second time or talked to people about it that I didn't notice at the time because I was wrapped up in the film. And yeah, in this film, I was noticing these things because I wasn't wrapped up. Um, so I think you're exactly right. Minor things I don't care about as long as the film's entertaining me. But as soon as it stops entertaining me, these things show up massively. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the biggest. I mean, even bigger than Richter not being in the film. The biggest disappointment is the fact that at the end, it is quite clearly just not ambiguous at all. They just yeah. can, they just utterly point out and say, no, there you go, it's it's real. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the other thing that annoyed me. Is, yeah, like I say, because there could have been so much more ambiguity. And again, I'm thinking, is that because they weren't ambitious enough or because they didn't trust the audience to be intelligent enough about it? Because... Um, Inception made nearly Inception made about seven hundred, eight hundred million dollars worldwide. Okay, blockbuster audiences are can be intelligent and they can they can deal with complex themes. Don't treat them like morons. Not and I really... everyone is thick as pig muck, <laughs> and 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 sometimes filmmakers really need to realise that. Yeah, exactly. And do you know what? Again, people have already paid. So, you know, if some thickos don't get it, I don't mean to be, but seriously, that they're not going to get they're not going to get the money back anyway. Do so, do what they did with the magic do what, do what they did with the magic Mike trailer and sort of make a really good film, but yeah. make but make the trailer completely misleading as to what kind of film <laughs> it is and then you'll just exactly. get all the idiots buying the tickets. Yes, exactly. But, you know, there is an appetite for intelligent blockbusters out there um the batman series is one um like i say inception but it's not just christopher nolan avengers assemble was uh smart i'm not saying it was intelligent but it was a smart blockbuster 
people and, and those two films have made nearly three billion this summer between them, and they are smart blockbuster films. I mean, and it annoys Source them. Code as well. Source Code was pretty, yeah. you know, clever for what it was. Exactly, and a lot of people went to see Source Code. Source Code did did pretty well, I think, didn't it? Um, you know, and Moon before that was a bit more of an indie hit, but loads of people raved about. It. You know, so there are people out there who want to watch intelligent films. There's an audience for them. Um, don't dumb down for the... I, I sometimes think that maybe it's just Hollywood producers dumbing down because they're the thick ones. That that might be it. They're the ones going, I don't get it. You know, maybe. Um, but yeah, don't dumb down for people. And treat us with respect. It's interesting. Oh, you know, with our next triple bill, I think, after the, this one mm. um, that's coming up is the one about the special features on DVDs and Blu-ray. Yes. The, oh, a, I don't know whether you've got the Predator special version special edition dvd there's a great documentary on there um, which just reminded me of that with um uh, the director whose name escapes me well uh, anyway he's talking David. yeah 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 and he's talking about the action films and stuff and he says that the, the people in hollywood who make these films you know who give them permission to make these films and stuff he says what they want from a director uh, of an action film is someone who likes cars and guns and he says they don't care whether you're good with actors. They don't care if you know how to direct action. They just think, oh, well, this guy knows about cars. Therefore, he knows about action yeah. films. He'll be really good for that. So he says, when you're talking to the people, the producer um, is talking to the people to get you know funding and carry on making the film. Yeah. And stuff, they just have to go, oh, yeah, I love this car. Have you seen the latest? And all this kind of thing. You, but can, actually, you <laughs> can just see, yeah, it's all about personality. And so exactly. you can see how Michael Bay has his career. Um, you can see how um, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson did business and things like that. Oh no, I totally agree. It's um, it, yeah, it, it, it's such a shame. Them. Yeah, because you know they, they suddenly see if these films are actually working and they're doing something right. It's quite an interesting yeah. documentary. Anyway. Got, oh, no, I'll look at that one because I've got a version of Predator, but I'm not sure if I've got that documentary on there. But it's oh. called if, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, probably best wrap up for this week's podcast then. Um, next week we will be reviewing the another uh, remake, this time of Dread, Judge Dread. Dread. Although it's definitely not a remake of the last Judge Dread film. This this is properly going back to source material. Mm. It does look a little bit like a remake of The Raid though. Yes, trailer. although this has been... this. I, I'm, my understanding is this has been in uh, development for longer than the raid was, so I think it's an unfortunate um, coincidence, uh, which you quite often get, like um, when there were two uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact came out at the same time yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, but I am I am stupidly excited for uh, Dread 3D because although I've said that I don't read comic books on previous podcasts, I've, I've remembered um, I did used to read. Judge Dread annuals from my school library when I was about 12, 13. And I remember the first Dread film being so goddamn awful. Um, I'm, I'm really, really excited for Dread 3D. I'm actually going to go watch it in 3D as well. I'm going to give 3D one more chance. There we go. Um, Triple Bill will be up from last week, but we didn't put it up because of technical issues. Um, yes. That's a lie. It wasn't technical issues at all. <laughs> <laughs> we were technically confused. Yeah. Um, but yes, our greatest true stories that haven't been made in the films that should be. 
which is a very wordy title, but that's what it is. <laughs> uh, so that will be going up on Friday. Um, yes. So thanks to Jerry, James, Owen. Thanks to myself. I keep having to say that, um, but I deserve it. And thanks, yeah, thanks to... to Steve. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thanks, Steve, for Good always job. editing our complete messes together. Yeah. No, thanks for you, all Steve. your compliments at the start as well. And yeah. uh, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our music. And thank you for all putting up with us for the last hour or so of your lives. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.